Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Dave Neal. This is a solo episode of The Sap, formerly known as The Sex Actually Podcast. Back in the day called You Up The Podcast. How's everybody doing? I, you know, it's Tuesday morning here in Los Angeles. It's 11.45 a.m. And I try my best to get these episodes out Sunday evening so people can have them for their commute on Monday morning. Is anybody out there commuting anymore? What's going on? I, um, I need to do a better job. I'll be the first to tell you that. I have had so much of my energy put into my YouTube in the last couple months that I feel like I, I feel like you guys have been my side piece that we bang on occasion. We talk, we, uh, we'll, 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 uh, message each other. How's, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? How good? How are the kids? Nice. And then once in a while we bump uglies, you know what I mean? That's where I feel like we're at. I need to give you guys a little bit more love because you've been so loyal. I hope you guys have been on my YouTube because that's where, that's just where the, that's just where the income has been. That's where all the people are at, you know, this podcast, I love it. We get about a thousand downloads an episode, but then YouTube, um, all of a sudden, I'm getting 10 million watch minutes a month, which is just insane. I can't quite quantify it. I know a lot of those YouTube people will come over to the podcast, so I want to give them that content as well. But I say all this because yesterday, Tasha and I tried to record an episode, but it was like half an hour before she had to get on a phone call. And this is what happens. And I'm not blaming her. This is what happens when you host a podcast with your significant other. You have to figure out life along with the podcast. You know what I mean? And I mention this because it's actually a great example of what we talk about on the podcast, which is learning good communication uh, techniques, knowing how to be present for each other, knowing each other's love language. These are all important things. And we talk about it on the podcast. And I'm not saying this happens often, but there are plenty of times when it's like Sunday night and I'm like, babe, we haven't recorded yet. We need to do this. And then work and play get intertwined. Now, don't get me wrong. Just about every single episode we've ever had, we always feel better after the episode. Like we we always come to a place where just talking it out is such a good thing for us that it feels like therapy. So for that alone, I can thank all of you guys for giving me the therapy. And if there's any sort of trickle-down therapy that you guys get because of it, well, I hope you enjoy that. You know what I mean? Uh, the world, it's a, it's a weird place. We get into these, um, I feel like, we, I feel like uh, we coast on what we know. We coast on uh, like our muscle memory. And then this last year, the pandemic has changed all that. A lot of people might have considered their work life to be their social life. A lot of people might have considered, you know, yeah, I go to work, I go to the gym after, then I come home. And then if you throw that out the window, now you got you and your significant other working from home or one person like with Tasha, she's actually close to back to work full time. Like she's out there doing her thing full time. And I've been working from home, which is great. It has been amazing. But I, I no longer get what used to be all of that extra alone time, even though I'm home. I'm not doing the thing like I like, I know what I like. I like to sit at a Starbucks and people watch. I don't need to talk to people. I just like to people watch, take some notes. I like to, I like to, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if that's introverted or extroverted or what. I'm almost like extroverted in the sense that I like other people's energies, but just don't bother me. You know what I mean? I think, I think we're all complicated. We're all different, but you know, you find out what you like and you work with it. And then the pandemic throws it off. The pandemic just throws it off. So, uh, 
you know, I find myself like looking forward to going to the grocery store and doing weird things. And I don't know, you guys might be in a place in the world where things are open, but in Los Angeles, they just reopened dining. It'd be funny if someone finds this months later or even years later and you can like see what, what we were living through, but they just reopened dining. And, um, so we haven't, but you still can't dine inside. That's just a crazy thought to go inside. You know, I saw people that were wearing masks in a gym and I was like, why are they wearing masks? Cause they were alone. It was two, it was a couple that was alone in the gym. And I was like, why are they wearing masks? And someone was like, well, that's because the, the virus circulates through the air conditioning. So even though you're alone, when you're in a well-ventilated or well-circulated area, you still need to be careful. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I, don't, I haven't been to a gym in a year. So I don't even know what that's all about. This is the longest I've gone not having the gym, not having the sauna, the steam room, you know, the simple things that I enjoy that kind of help me burn off steam. Uh, so it's just important to, when you strip away these things, to just listen to who you are and go, oh, I'm getting a little chirpy today. I need to go for a run. Oh, I need to go work, you know, put, do some push-ups. Just very simple things. I need to burn off some of this energy. You know what I mean? So I'd love to hear from you guys what, what you have done during the pandemic that has helped you sort of shift what your um, day-to-day objectives are. I was having this conversation with Tasha where we were discussing hard work and just the idea that hard work makes us feel good. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're working with your hands. You can do hard work with your mind. You can do creative work, you know, writing a, writing a screenplay or building a fence. I mean, I honestly don't know the difference. I just think that when it comes down to it as humans, we like to see things progress. We like, you know, even if you're driving by, um, you know, uh, a, a neighbor that you don't know and they're building an addition, you like to just drive by and go, oh yeah, the Jeffersons, they put a... The, the, the garage, they put that little thing on top of the garage. Oh, it's looking good. Now, you just like to see progress. It's the reason the pyramids were built. It's the reason, you know, all these things happen. We're just humans that like to create. So then the question becomes, what are we doing to create? And if we don't feel good about our life, is it because we're not creating something? What is it that we want to create? You know, I've got brothers that are much younger than me, Jack and Jameson. Shout out to them. Their birthdays are this month. Happy birthday, Jack. Happy birthday, Jameson. Yes, my brother's named Jack and Jameson. Those are their real names. And they've got different forms of creativity that they like. And as an older brother, I'm always thinking, how can I encourage them to be creative so that they can feel that pride and that love? And what does creativity look like? This whole idea like you've either got a creative mindset or you don't have a creative mindset, I just reject that. I think you have whatever you breathe into. And if you're like a five-year-old and you draw something and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. You did good. You might love those affirmations and you might want to keep on drawing. I never really like loved drawing, but I always loved, I always loved creating things, but it wasn't until like stand-up improv performing. I realized, oh, I like, I like the social aspect of all of this. I like getting to know people, the rehearsing. It's almost like, it's almost like what I do now incorporates what I loved from sports, but taking away the fact that with sports, every single day, you're one day closer to death. Every single day, you're, you know, you're, you, you know, you're closer to not being able to play football or baseball or whatever it is. You're breaking down, but you can still take that competitive edge. You can apply it to stand up where you don't have to deal with, you know, an ACL injury or whatever. So I just think that when we challenge each other to find our creativity and find a way to appreciate that. And, you know, I've talked a lot about the laws of divine compensation with um, <clears throat> Marianne Williamson. 
we we talk about the um just you know the interesting aspect of why it is we shame people that don't have health care because they choose a profession that doesn't uh, support you. Or like, you know, if you're, it, it, put it this way, if you're a creative, chances are you're a gig worker. Chances are you um, you are like um, entrepreneurial. You'll sell things when people want to buy them. It's very basic e- economics. There are a few uh, creative jobs, like if you're a copywriter for an ad agency where you're writing, you know, a jingle for McDonald's that, that you're actually like paid for your creativity, you know, design work. Of course, there's different, there's obviously, if you're a good designer or work in architecture, there's an avenue there. But if you're like a comic, you're basically just like a roadside burlesque performer where you're just like, you're just working for that next paycheck. You know, so for me with YouTube and podcasting kind of opened the doors for that with YouTube, I've been able to see that I can take my vaudeville act, my little corner busking act and bring it to a much wider audience. And even though you only receive pennies per people that view the fact that we live in such a large world, I mean, 10 million watch minutes is something, you know, I got more this month than I probably had in my previous eight years combined. I would say probably tenfold, but anyway, it, it goes to show that there, there's a way we can tap into the creative jet stream and use that to fuel who we are and open us up to a bigger market. So I challenge you guys, whatever it is you're doing with your life, how can we go from not renting out our time, which is, you know, in the comics world, renting out your time is working for a $10 paycheck um, I mean, some of the ways I've been paid, I've been paid seven, you know, the Laugh Factory in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, California, in West Hollywood, the Laugh Factory pays comics like $7.50 per set. Do you guys understand this? Like com- comedians that go on stage and perform in front of hundreds of people, they pay you. No, not the Laugh Factory, the Hollywood Improv. Either way, both of them, they- they'll pay you like $7 a set. I think the going rate at the comedy store was $15. New York pays more. You might get $25 a set. But it's just insane. So when you see comedians after a stand-up show selling merchandise, selling T-shirts, koozies, stickers, it's because they they have to find new ways to make money. And when you rent out your time, when you work on a stand-up show where the whole audience um, was brought by the comedy club, your 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 job is still to make them laugh, but you don't have any leverage because if you ask for a pay raise, chances are they'll just say, "No, no, no, we pay seven dollars and fifty cents." There's in Los Angeles, there's 10,000 comedians. So you could be a well-known comedian on Conan. You could, you could be very funny, but chances are they're just going to say, no, 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 we'll just get the other guy who's just as funny, but he'll, he'll do it for less. And it kind of becomes that whole thing like not having a union where there's always going to be someone who'll do the job cheaper. And in stand-up, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the job done worse. There's plenty of comics that don't need the money, so they'll just work for seven bucks. They'll be like, oh, you know, like I'll make my money somewhere else you know, work for seven bucks because it's a way to work out, you know, work my material, this and that. So it's a very flawed market. But when you take that same comedian and when you build your social media, your Twitter, your Instagram, your YouTube, when you can build a fan base, the sky is the limit. I mean, some of the most, there's a reason like guys like Jeremy Piven um, got into stand-up comedy. I'm sure he enjoys live performing. He comes from a theatrical family, but stand-up comedy, it's much harder to get fired from stand-up than it is to get fired 
from enter from like the entertainment world. Because in the entertainment world, there's only several main agencies, so they can decide like, no, nah, we're not working with this guy anymore. He, uh, you know, he has different political mindsets or this or that. Whereas in stand up, if you don't want, if if I've got an audience and Zanies in Chicago doesn't want to let me perform, I can just go to another theater that will be happy to accept the, you know, added alcohol drink sales, and then I can make my 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 paycheck there. So while I see all this, it's almost like with comedy, comics are so good, I think, at explaining to each other how business works. So it's really become a business lesson just within my my field. But I, I explain all of this because it's almost, it's so old school that all of the things that people know in comedy are just like passed down from an older generation. Like we just tell the younger generation how it works. Oh, this guy doesn't pay a lot, but this guy will pay you more, but he'll take care of your flights. And this guy will pay you X, Y, and Z. And then you learn. But in the new, in the new generation, we don't need the brick walls that are comedy clubs. So it's hard to get in, in a comedy club. It's hard to get past. And by saying past, it means approved to perform there and you'll be on their regular circuit. It's very hard to do. There's just an oversaturation of comics and less stages. But what there, but what we have now more than ever is an ability to broadcast yourself to the world. So I've got like a couple, um, people that, that watch my bachelor recaps in Alaska. And imagine if I had, imagine if I had 50 and they all brought their significant other. Well, well that's enough to like sell out a venue in Alaska, which would be enough to cover my flights, merchandise, and, you know, all the, and make some, make a pretty penny. So like the profit margin is actually set so low when you don't have all of the extra uh, issues that come along with, um, with, with businesses. So when it comes to like podcasting, when it comes to YouTube, it's all just like, do it yourself. The bandwidth is relatively free. You know, and again, this isn't the same way for all creative people. I know, like, say, say if you're like a uh, uh, a, a um, painter who paints on large canvas or you do uh, murals, I'm sure that could be very expensive, you know. But, you know, you find you find a way to make it work. You find a way to, uh, to, to get your work out there. And, you know, with people that are creative, you know, that work in um, Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop, I mean, you know, there's so many tutorials online that can help us grow. So I guess the point of what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, that uh, we need to stop looking at limitations in life. And I think the pandemic has been really good at showing me that even though I believed it before the pandemic, I believed that there was a world, a jet stream I could tap into uh, by being a, in the pandemic, I've had no other choice but to make it work. So I know I'm a little redundant here, but people have asked me in the past, what I talk about when I say building equity in yourself, and it's just that. Now with Tasha, she's she she gets it as well, but like she's also experienced her Instagram account going down because people that followed her, you know, she gets in a relationship. She she used to post more scandalous things, you know, bikini, you know, not scandalous, but you know, uh, she's a model. She posts bikini photos, lingerie, this and that. Totally, you know, totally respect her growing her following and she's gotten advertising from it and this and that, but it's slowly like dwindled over time and she'll show frustration to me, you know, rightfully so. She'll be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. This tequila company wants me to, you know, use, show their product on my Instagram, but doesn't want to pay me, you know? And, and it's like, well, don't get mad. Don't ever get mad at the circumstance of the business just know that it means we need to build more equity into your Instagram. Like for Tasha, it's like, 
Get all these people that follow the podcast, that follow the YouTube, get them on board with your Instagram so that you have the numbers to dictate your price. I had, I had somebody, I'll tell you the behind the scenes, I can do this, this is an audio only episode. I had somebody reach out to me to do an advertisement on YouTube. They wanted, um, uh, they wanted a, a read and they wanted to pay me 500 bucks. And this was two weeks ago and my YouTube has grown significantly in the last month. And I, I, they offered me $500 and I said, I'll do it for a thousand. And I'm not used to negotiating my price because I have not been in a position of power. And by power, I mean, I have not been in a position where I've had much equity to negotiate my price. And they, they got back to me and they agreed on the $1,000. And then immediately Tasha was like, maybe you should ask for 2000 And then I was thinking, you know what? Moving forward, I do need to do a better job of knowing what the worth is for these views because, you know, everything, it's, it's, it's all new to me that, that there are people watching and that comes with power. You know, whenever you see like some of these, um, uh, you know, like Facebook, right? It's free to use, but that means you're, you're the product, it's free to use, which means they're going to sell your information to somebody else. There's nothing free in life. Like Robinhood, the app, it's free to use, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. So because of that, they literally sell your information to the stock broker so they know what you guys are doing, buying and selling. So everything comes with a price. And when you've got your own following, the price is you can start charging more. I remember like I've asked people to be on the podcast before. And they've, you know, I've had people blow me off. I've had people go, oh yeah, I'd love to. But you know, they really don't. And I totally get it because... Why would I want to go on someone's podcast that's that's not, you know, doing as well as mine? You know, why would I go uh, work for somebody else when I've got my own thing I'm investing in? And no, it's good to collaborate. It's good to mix minds with other people. But at the same time, I'm telling you guys this. I'm, I'm bringing you sort of into the behind the scenes of the way my social media is working because... While it's painful when new social media comes out and you're like, oh, I got to get on this now. I got to do TikTok, Instagram reels, Twitter stories or whatever. It's just, it's exhausting, but it's also some of the groundwork that will get you off of the need to work for somebody else. I mean, I remember to the, I, I could, I can remember a play by play story of what it was like getting fired from my dream job. I remember I went down to the restaurant in the local, like there was a food court, like mall underneath the sky rise. There was a sky rise in Boston and it was three different buildings. It was like some of the largest buildings in Boston. And the thing that connected them was like an indoor mall. And you'd go down there and you'd go, you know, get a sandwich for lunch. And I remember my boss going, bringing me down there for my like interview. And I was going into it thinking I was going to get some praise, some affirmations. How you doing Dave? And by the what, by the way, I'm 22. And I had been, I had had, I had been kicked off. I had, I don't want to say kicked off in like a bad way. I had been, um, what's the, what's the term I'm looking for? I was from the baseball team. I had been let go from the baseball cut. That's what I'm looking for. Cut for no other reason than I wasn't good enough to be on the team. It wasn't like I did anything wrong. I just wasn't good enough to be on the team. So I had been cut from my college, my, the D1 baseball team, several years that I tried to make the team. Made the, made the team, but like in the fall roster made the team and then they have to cut it down to the traveling team. And I was cut. So I know what it's like to be in that room where someone tells you you're not good enough and it's humbling and you call your mom and you, you, you want to tell her how you feel, but you kind of cry because you feel like you failed. And it's so funny. Speaking of my mom, she was the same person. I called her when I made the baseball team. Cried. <laughs> you know, happy tears. Not like, oh, you know, like proud. Proud to share with my mom. And then I remember when I was cut, called her, let her know. It was tough. It was very tough. 
I invested a lot of time and energy into making that dream become a reality. And it just, you know, it was the end of the road. When I was fired from my work, my mom knew that I had been going through struggles with it. She knew like I, I couldn't do anything right. She knew I was failing. Like I literally just could not do it right. I don't blame the company. I was just not good. Like it, it was so far off from my skill set. I shouldn't have had the job in the first place. The only reason I got it is I think I, I, I'm a pretty good interviewer. I, it just wasn't for me. It was a very clerical, organized job. Not for me. I should have been in the creative department, you know, throwing a tennis ball against the wall, spitting across uh, copy, thinking of like fun jingles. But instead, I was kind of on the organizational business side of it. Not for me. But anyhow, I digress. The point is, is that I remember getting fired and I remember... That, that second that that interview wasn't going the way it was supposed to, like my, you know, my, um, whatever, my three month interview or whatever, they were like, all right, if you don't improve in X, Y, and Z, we're going to let you go. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, they're already talking about letting me go. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you kidding me? All my friends knew this was my dream job. The, the day I got fired, I told, you know, I went down to a different floor. There's like five floors, you know, giant company. I went down to a different floor to talk to the design team and be like, yeah, yeah I'm fired. I'm done. I, they let me go. And they were like, what? Come on. It was like a Friday, maybe. They were like, ah, oh, you're pulling our chain. What are you talking about? And um, I was like, guys, I got to go. Like, you'll believe me when I walk out this door with my box if you don't believe me now. And they were like, huh? Like, no one could believe it. Maybe people, when they get fired, just like put their tail between their legs and walk out quietly. But I wanted to like say bye to people. And then eventually my boss was like, you have to leave. Like, they, like, they didn't escort me out, but I was so naive at 22 that I didn't understand how firings happened. You know, you hand in your security code. And I get it. When people get fired... They want to pour it, you know, bleach on the computers. They want to jam, you know, uh, you know, a dildo into the elevator shaft. There's a pun for you. You know, crazy things happen when you get fired. So I totally understand it. But for me, when I got fired, I just wanted to help them sort of like figure out, you know, like, all right, this is where I stored all my information for the next person. Like I was actually very kind. I should have just been like, all right, bye. And not worried about it. But even when I was being fired, I was like, no, I want you guys to be okay. Uh, very strange. But anyway, I remember walking out of there with my, you know, I had way too much stuff. I wish I knew in advance I was getting fired because I would have maybe moved some things out early from my office. But I had like, you know, whey protein because my gym was in the office building. I had a, I had a lot of stuff. So I'd like bring all these trinkets home just a pack rat that I am. And I remember walking down the street in Kenmore Square, walking to the 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 T, the train the, or the bus, whatever I was taking home. And I remember calling my mom and I was like, that's it. And she was like, oh no. Like I could just tell she was like, oh man. You know, like wanting the best for me. But she, she was like, oh man. But honestly, I'll be honest guys, I felt relieved. I felt relieved that someone had like stopped me from the failing job that I was doing. So I look back, if I could ever like, if I, if I was ever at a bar having a beer and I saw my old boss who I, you know, harbored some resentment for tough decision that she would have had to make to fire me. I kind of wish I could buy her a drink and be like, you know what? By firing me, you put me on a trajectory that has been the best thing that has ever happened to me. I always think, well, what if I did a better job? Like, what if I wasn't working for, in sales and, the, and I made enough money? So I was like, well, the work sucks, but I'm making enough money. Like, there could have been so many scenarios in which I would have appreciated the work because of the money and all the things that are attached to it. But because it was all taken away from me at a point when, like, the pay wasn't that good to begin with. I mean, honestly, guys, I'm making more every day than that job, that corporate job paid me every week. 
uh, close to double it to an extent. I mean, it was a low, it was a low paying job. When you get into advertising, if anyone works in advertising or PR, when you get into those jobs, the pay sucks. I mean, it's bad. So it wasn't like I was losing some engineering gig or something. It was so bad that I was able to make do by just taking random gigs, starting to audition this and that, but it's been a while. It's been, you know, since then, it, that's been 13 long years of struggle, you know, of getting out of debt and getting back into it and getting out of it and getting back into it, not saving in my 20s when I was supposed to and this and that. But what I've noticed more recently that I hope to build on is that the profit that can come from owning your own content is something that nobody nobody can afford to buy from you. You know, Rocky was written by Sylvester Stallone. They wanted to give him cheap money, but he didn't he didn't want to get give the rights away to it. He didn't. And because of that, he's written amazing movies. I mean, really amazing movies. He's 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 been, you know, he's been a a very he's a great example of a guy that has been a very wealthy success story when at the time he was eating beans out of a can in New York City eating beans out of a can in New York City. There's uh, rumors, there's stories that he had to sell his dog because he couldn't afford his dog. I don't know. I don't think that one's true. I think that one's made up. But the point, the point is, is the amount of, how do I put this? The amount of respect you will get for betting on yourself, the amount of return on investment for betting on the equity you put into yourself. And by equity, I mean hours spent learning how to edit, hours spent learning how to do something creative, hours spent learning how to whatever you want to do, whatever you love doing. Those hours put in far exceed, you know, the average rate of return for a normal job where you make X amount and you grow and you grow because where does that leave you when you get laid off in your late forties and they only want to hire new people in their twenties and they tell you, learn how to code. I mean, there really is something to be said. I don't, this isn't supposed to be a um, guidance counselor interview here, but there is something to be said about growing with yourself, investing in yourself, not riding on some sort of like, two week vacation a year, you know, I'm just, I'm just coming to you from a, from a place where I've learned these things, folks. And I'm still learning it. I'm still young in some senses, you know, I'm still young and I'm still figuring it out, but I just want, you know, I want everyone out there to, to know that there is a route you can take where you leverage your time and energy into feeding you and not your bosses. I hope everyone out there is staying warm. I'm just looking at the news right now. It um, says U.S. cities had the coldest morning in decades. It's crazy because obviously in Southern California, we're in such a bubble. We get, you know, we get fires. We get, we get, it's a little chilly. It gets like in the 50s at night here in the, in the winter. But by no means are we talking Arctic chill. But I hope everyone is staying warm out there. And I was going to read, I was going to read some um, relationship advice questions. But you know what? I think I'm going to keep this one at 30 minutes. I think I'm just going to give you guys something that's a little bit more of a bite-sized episode, the solo episode. I just end up talking a lot, obviously. But I look forward to the world opening back up 
I look forward to getting out there traveling. I look forward to doing stand up again. I've only done a few stand up shows this whole year, last year. I miss it. I miss that creative muscle. It's kind of just lay dormant. I feel like my stand up muscle is like if you didn't do curls for a year. Like I still can do a curl, but I the muscle is just not there and it's atrophied. So I need to I need to regain that bone density for the humor. Everything's been so serious lately. Everything's so heightened and serious. I will say this, the one problem with the growth of my YouTube has been accepting and responding to negative comments. And I know this is probably sounds so obvious, but it's amazing how some people will conflate statements to make you out to be a bad guy. Like I've made like, you know, I make like about an hour's worth of content every day, half an hour. I make like 10 to 20 minute long videos and I'll make like two or three of them a day and edited, posted on YouTube. If you guys just watch, if you guys just listen to the audio, you wouldn't know that. But if you check out the YouTube, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And generally they get about 30 to 50 upvotes for every downvote. You know, they'll get like a hundred, you know, a video will get like 3000 thumbs up and then like 50 thumbs down or 200 thumbs down, whatever the case may be. Every video is different. Some people will thumbs something down based on the title or thumbnail. Some people don't like my opinion or how I look. And some people just disagree with my, uh, my point of view, which is totally fair. But then, yeah, some people will just have such a bad faith, negative energy. And the other day I was responding to somebody's comments and they were just attacking my character. And I had spent so long explaining myself in a way that I felt like was very much like how you would explain yourself um, in the court of law. I saw all sides of it. I stated my opinion. I said, this is just my opinion, my X, Y, and Z. And people were still misinterpreting me. And, and it's made me really think about the human condition and where we put our ignorance and like how, how little we can be willing to grow in certain ways, how little we can be willing to change our point of view. And and how that has to deal with maybe maybe changing our point of view is seen as a weakness in today's call-out culture. I have no problem. You tell me I said something wrong and, and I think about it. Yeah, you're right. I came off wrong. That's not really what I meant. What I meant was X, Y, and Z. So I, I take that back and I apologize. Sorry that that offended you. I don't think it's a problem to apologize. You know, I think it's the people that want apologies, but they want you to go too far. And then, and then some, sometimes what happens is when, when, uh, when people want apologies and you apologize they moved the goalpost and now they want something else from you because it's powerful. It's like, wow, I got you to apologize. I got you to see my point of view. I'm the dominant uh, voice in the crowd right now. And then, and then it becomes some like tribal stuff. So I'm trying, I'm trying on my YouTube to stay away from that. I'm trying on my YouTube to respond to positive comments, even comments that challenge me as long as they're done in good faith. I'm trying to accept the good and realize that the bad's going to come with it. And that's just the price you pay for internet people, strangers, keyboard warriors. They're going to be out there. You know, with, with the audio podcast, I've never had to deal with that because you guys are so kind and like totally listening to a point of view and understanding that it comes with grace, understanding that it comes uh, from a place that means well. And part of the beauty of YouTube is YouTube does a good job of recommending content to new people. So I celebrated 10,000 subscribers two weeks ago. It took me almost a decade. It took me almost a decade to get to 10,000. Put it this way, it took me, let's call it six years to get 1,000 subscribers, maybe another two years to get to 2,000 subscribers, and then it took me several months to get from 2,000 subscribers to 10,000 subscribers. Um, two, month, two weeks ago, I got to 10,000 subscribers, and now I am going to hit 17,000 subscribers either today or tomorrow. So 
uh, YouTube really rewards introducing my content to new people. And because of that, I've been upgrading my equipment. Uh, you know, Tasha and I obviously are moving to a new, a new house. We're moving to a two bedroom house so I can have a private place to record, which if you don't, if you don't know this, I should do a, I really should do a video before I move out of this studio, but we're in a 550 square foot studio. I'm in the kitchen right now. And just around the corner is where the bed is. So like last night I was up till 2 a.m. making my bachelor recap videos. And unfortunately, Tasha had to be sleeping for an early morning. We both had to wake up at 6.30. So while we've grown so much in our little cocoon here, we are punching and kicking our way out of this cocoon. And we are going to go on to so much bigger things. And I think once the biggest concern was that we are essentially doubling our rent costs. And while we wanted to buy a home, it's just ridiculous. The market, we can't afford it. We won't get approved, especially after this last year. We won't get approved for a place, you know, with our with how the pandemic has been. So we've said, you know what? While we're not going to, and again, maybe this is a good place to end. I'll end it on this, tying YouTube in and, and the leaps, the leap in the net will appear. Two weeks ago, the week that I was deathly ill, did I get ill after the 10,000 subscribers? No, I think I got ill like the week before the 10,000 subscriber 10-hour live stream, which is up on YouTube if you haven't watched. It's a 10-hour live stream I did straight. Um, it was amazing and exhausting. It was a big hangover of emotions. But Tasha and I have been looking at random new places, but we've been in this rent-controlled place. So we've had this sort of fear-based mindset that says we are in a rent-controlled place. Why double our rent when we have this safe thing here? And we kind of came to the place where we were like, look, we need to bet on ourselves. We, we aren't getting any younger. We need to bet on ourselves that we're going to hit it big. And, it, and it, it almost seems very reckless to do this, to basically double our rent when we're not quite ready to buy. Because how, how, how do you save money when you double your expenses? Well, the, the idea is, is that we're going to be in a bigger place that we love more. So we'll have more loving energy, which is really important. Believe it or not, it's really important when it comes to catching people's attention on YouTube to do it with loving energy. It doesn't mean I have to be like, hey, everybody. It just means you're going to feel the intangible that I'm not overworked that, you know, because when I when I do the podcast, you know, as I'm driving to a gig and I'm doing it out of my car and I'm stressed, you don't need that energy. You need the energy of like right now. I'm just talking with you guys. We're having fun. It's a day late, but I'd rather do it a day late and get to you guys uh, in a good way. And then, then, you know, then rush to have it done. And I, I've had to learn myself to sort of be able to push things off and realize that it'll be better if I just wait a day, get a night's sleep and then do it. And, um, as much as I pride myself in getting my content out there in a timely fashion, it just ain't going to happen every week. It ain't going to happen every week. I'll try my best. I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to find a better way to do the podcast. So it doesn't feel like I'm doing a science fair project the night before it's due. You know, I, I put it off to the weekend and the weekends have been so busy. But anyway, so we decided we need to move. We started looking at places. Tasha's super picky. She is super picky. She's like, oh, I like this place, but it doesn't have outdoor seating, this and that. I'm the, I'm the opposite. I'm like, I love this. Next place we see. I love this. I just loved everything I was seeing. But everything had something off with it. Well, this last place we saw was just so great. Outdoor, you know, little backyard area. Uh, beautiful new appliances. I mean, I can't even tell you guys, having lived in that building from the 1920s, every, we have, we literally have like three functioning outlets with just a bunch of wires going around and the lighting's okay in the place, but the old windows are so rattly and thin that you can hear somebody walking down. You can hear somebody with like um, a shopping cart strolling down the road. Like it's very loud. You can hear people's conversations all night and all that. So for us to, 
bet on ourselves and go to this next place. The irony is, and this is what I told Tasha, my YouTube, and again, maybe it's going to ebb and flow. I have to be okay if it, if it flows a little bit and then ebbs a little bit. You know, you know, we're just about riding the wave in consistency, but right now it's on a hot streak. And the fact that the month that we decided we would move, the fact that after making that decision, I've seen insane growth before we even get to the new place just goes to show that it's like faith rewarded. So it's faith rewarded for a move we put off for a long time. I mean, no, no one in their right mind, I think, is upgrading their living situation during a pandemic. And it's not like we got a deal on the new place either. It's going to be, like I said, doubling our expenses. But the, the goal is, can we quadruple our income? Does investing a little bit more in yourself add more room to grow. And that's what we're betting on. And it's showed and it's proven itself so far. So I appreciate all you guys sticking around. You know, every once in a while I do this state of the union SAP podcast, but I really appreciate you listening and, and being a, a supportive part of the community. I wanted to do a shout out to all of my Patreon members. People come and go, they donate here, they donate there, but the Patreon has been so loyal and supportive that it really has been the extra funds that have been needed to buy the microphones and keep the podcast going with the website fees and this and that. Um, I'm still not like, you know, after six, six or seven years of doing this podcast, it ends up costing me about 50 bucks a month. So it's been, it's been a labor of love for me. And I'm finally glad that the YouTube's paying off and I want to put some more love into the podcast and hopefully the YouTube audience can trickle down into the podcast audience. And you know, you guys, when the world opens back up, could buy some tickets to some stand up shows and I can bring my friends on the road, make you guys laugh, share a drink. And that's the end goal really is to bring people together, laugh, and enjoy life. Uh, if there's any way I can help you guys, uh, some people have at, sent me private messaging asking for advice. Look, I, I can't give you great advice, but I, I can give you better advice than your parents are giving you, I'll tell you that. Parents and family, they just don't understand. They want to keep you safe. They don't want you to quit your job. They want you to be safe. And my thought is, I want you to be bold. I want you to make choices that inspire you to get up every day to work because you love what you do. Let's do that, okay? So let's 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 focus on that love. You know, find a way to manifest it. Buy some buy some books on law of attraction. Just Google law of attraction, Google law of divine compensation. I got my book here, Manifest Your Burning Desire. It's a journal where you just you just you just tell the world these crazy dark secrets that of of things you want out of life and let's just keep sharing and finding a way to build our own pyramids. You know? Don't build somebody else's. Anyway, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to slide into my DMs if you have any questions at dneals, D-N-E-A-L-Z. And um, I appreciate you all. If you want extra bonus content, this is very much like the type of episodes I make on the podcast, which is like, you know, reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win People and Influence and whatever the hell it's called. The Law of Divine Compensation, Law of Attraction. You know, the, you know, the, the, the Patreon is way more motivational than just the conversational uh, aspect of the podcast. And it's for the most part, solo episodes. So if you enjoy just hearing me chat with you guys, that's the place to be. And people can donate anywhere from five, ten, or five, eight, twelve, or fifty dollars a month, and you'll get um, all this additional content. So Patreon.com/slash this app, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash T-H-E-S-A-P. And of course, I thank you guys so much for being along uh, for this journey. And just like I told Tasha, I'm going to tell you guys, I get more joy out of sharing my successes with others than I do from actual how I feel on the inside, like telling Tasha how successful the YouTube has been and different things. I get more joy in seeing the people that believed in me being happy 
for the payoff. So I appreciate you guys sticking around for this payoff. Thank you guys so much. So much more to come. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll be moving into our new place, and we'll send you guys um, exclusive you know, behind-the-scenes tours of the, of the new house. And oh, it, you're going to love it, guys. It's really, it's really going to be a blast. So anyhow, folks, I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Shoot for the stars. Love you all. Bye.